Hello, and welcome back to another special report from Catholic Family News. Today, I'm going to be joined by a first-time visitor to Catholic Family News, uh, James uh, uh, Michael Komenecki, and uh, he is the president and CEO of Protect Our Priests, but uh, he uh, has uh, been uh, around the traditional movement for a long time. He's a, a and the pro-life movement. He's done pro-life work. He's a member of St. John Cantius in Chicago. He's also a professional licensed engineer, uh, having uh, done a degree in mechanical engineering. And he's going to join us to talk about uh, the Protect Our Priests organization and a uh, recent announcement they made just about a week ago. So welcome to the uh, show, Thank you, uh, Brian. I appreciate this opportunity I, to be on your podcast. Uh, I'd be happy to uh, speak a little bit about Protect Our Priests. Uh, I joined the organization five years ago as a volunteer fundraiser. At that time, you know, we were helping uh, canceled priests like Father C. Frank Phillips from St. John Cantius with their canon law cases. Uh, I raised a lot of money, obviously, as a fundraiser. I gradually became the treasurer a few years ago, and then now I'm the president of the organization. Uh, meanwhile, uh, if we roll the camera uh, clock back, we have uh, we have Can Coalition for Canceled Priests, which is doing a lot of the work that Protect Our Priests used to do. And so I've seen an opportunity as the new leader of the group to take us in a new direction, especially after Traditionis Custodius and the Rescriptum Ad Audentium came out. I looked at the crisis in the church and I said, you know, Somebody's got to step up to defend the mass and preserve the TOM, the traditional Latin mass, because we've got cancellations of the liturgy taking place all over the country. And that's our new mission. And I've announced it. And since I've announced it, I've received tremendous uh, outpouring of support, a lot of financial contributions coming in, a lot of people having me on their programs to talk about it. And I'm pleased to do so. It helps us with the outreach. And a lot of people contacting me who want to set up these private chapels to offer these cancel priests an opportunity to get back in the game. And certainly, as I said, you're speaking from Chicago, which I think in the United States has seen really some of the most brutal suppression of the mass. There's probably more cancellations in Chicago than almost uh, anywhere else. So you're really in the, the uh, eye of the storm there. Uh, so maybe you, you mentioned for us the Coalition for Canceled Priests. So just people understand you're not the same organization, right? You're, you're, you're a distinct organization, although you cooperate with them. Well, the uh, the Coalition for Canceled Priests, uh, you know, you could think of them as an affiliate organization. Uh, they do tremendous work. I have a lot of friends over there, you know, Father mm -hmm. Father John Lovell uh, and uh, Father Scott Duvall and yes. all of the other, you know, the lay members are all friends of mine. Uh, with that said, uh, by the way, I wanted to uh, say that, you know, I was at the conference and I didn't, didn't get a chance to yes. meet you there. So I apologize for that. Oh. Uh, you gave a great talk and I wanted to compliment your work. Thank you. Um, I'm a great admirer of yours. Uh, but back to the question, you know, um, the coalition is doing some unique things for priests. I was the engineer, by the way, that had the opportunity to help them evaluate their uh, consideration for purchasing the property at the Cedar Lake location. Uh, I was instrumental in vetting that property and helping them decide, well, it just wasn't the best place and they just had to look elsewhere. So I, I helped them save a lot of money that way, of course. Um, but as far as our organization goes, um, we're different in that our primary mission now, as from before, is to help preserve the traditional Latin mass. 
in the uh, shadow, if you will, the long dark shadow that's been cast from Rome by Pope Francis and you know Cardinal Roche, who is sort of the enforcer uh, via the uh, you know the policies that have been coming down from from the top. So, in your announcement recently of of uh, asking people, do you? want to have a canceled priest. Um, I'd like to first start with that idea of, of a canceled priest, because what some people might say is, well, how are we to know the difference between, if you're going to send us a priest, somebody who's just a really good priest who for unfair, unjust reasons is being persecuted from a, a priest who's really done something bad. I mean, we'll take an obvious example, an abusive priest, done something abusive, and who really, you know, is, is uh, how do we know you're not going to send us one of those? What, what, do you, what do you do to make sure that it's really a priest that's persecuted as opposed to been justly removed from ministry? Absolutely. It's a superb question and one I get a lot. And so yeah. basically to, to safeguard the faithful from coming into contact with, uh, let's say, clergy that, have been removed for very specious reasons. I won't go into the details. We all know what they are. Uh, with that said, we have a vetting process by a third party organization uh, that does this for us, and they have high credibility in doing this. So they get vetted, all these priests get vetted. Uh, they're the good guys, good guys, not the bad guys. Uh, these are priests that have been removed basically because they're too Catholic and they're too Orthodox. No, it's interesting. As you mentioned, we were both uh, at the, the conference there in Chicago, and uh, I, unfortunately, it was very busy, and I couldn't stay the, the whole time, so I, I didn't meet everyone. But the priests I spoke to that have been canceled, it was really interesting. There were, there were two themes, because every priest I'd meet, I'd say, so what's your story? What happened to you? I like hearing you know, people's story. And it was always one of two things. Either I was saying the traditional Latin mass, and I got a red flag at the chancery for that, or I preached too many sermons about contraception or abortion. It was I, almost to a T. If you had to play a, a, a I'll, I'll make a bet. I bet I can bet why you're can why you were canceled. I'd have a 50-50 chance of getting it right because it was one of those two things. Yep, sure it's is. interesting. Yeah. So no good. So um, if people are, are thinking about this, you said help set up a private chapel. So how does this work? Let's say we had a, a traditional mass and a, a diocesan parish nearby. Uh, a bishop or maybe a cardinal shuts it down, says that's it, no more mass. Uh, but there's a whole group that really wants the mass. What, what's the next step? What do they do to, to work with you? Well, it can work a couple of ways. First of all, uh, my wife has spent uh, a considerable amount of time helping us to compile a massive national database of every diocesan mass in the country. And we are currently keeping track of which ones are still up and running, which ones have been canceled, and particularly which ones are in danger of being canceled. Uh, we also get contacted by a lot of people who are finding out about this effort, thanks to good people such as yourself who are giving me this opportunity to speak on this uh, issue. And as a result, we uh, have a lot of opportunities with people who want to set up these chapels for good reason. Uh, and the way the process basically works is when I find out about an opportunity, a need out there in the field, as I like to call it, what I do is I, I generate what I like to call a job description uh, for that particular uh, opportunity. And it, it varies a lot because some people just want to have a visiting priest. Other communities are open to having a live-in priest as long as they're willing to provide him room and board and the other you know, kind of support that he needs, uh, privacy for his own private prayer life and things like that. So 
what I do is I collect the information from the various uh, communities uh, and they're encouraged to put that in a written form to me so that then I can take that information to a pool of canceled Orthodox Catholic priests that I can uh, offer opportunities to get back in the ministry and they can review that and decide, yeah, I'd like to go there or I'd like this opportunity, you know, and then so we we're basically kind of a clearinghouse, if you will. Hmm. Uh, I call it a matchmaking service of sorts. Where we, <laughs> you know, we, we put opportunities out there for these council priests. And, uh, you know, uh, that's something that they can uh, choose to get involved in. So we're, we're, uh, we're opportunity makers. So let's, again, I'll go play devil's advocate to the next question I'm sure you get. Well, how can, how can we do this? Isn't this illegal? Aren't these wildcat chapels isn't this against the law bringing in a priest you know to a, a quote private chapel so oh, yeah <laughs> yeah it's a great question and it comes up all the time and you know brian yeah. uh as a natural consequence you know i've anticipated this question and i prepared for it you know the truth of the matter is if, if we look at history okay if we go back to the 1970s even uh, michael matt at the remnant talks about this a lot back in the 1970s when uh, you know, the new mass was really being rolled out in force. A lot of underground masses existed. Now, back then, you know, we didn't have canceled priests like we have today. This is a, a, a wholesale problem of another uh, scale taking place today uh, of a much graver nature. And so we're operating right now uh, in several respects. Uh, we're kind of like uh, SSBX in that they acknowledge and recognize that there's an emergency crisis taking place in the church. Yep. We're not the SSBX, of course. We're strictly working with diocesan priests. And I would say this, that the justification for doing that really goes back to the principles of St. Thomas Aquinas that you yourself mm -hmm. have, have spoken about. You know, uh, we've, got, we've got law coming down from the Vatican that really appears and is to me very arbitrary and not reasonable at all. So it kind of violates, you know, the definitions of what of what good law is. And as uh, Saint Augustine said, you know, unjust law is no law at all. So I would say that we're operating under those kinds of principles today, in stepping forward and you know standing up and speaking out, as my friend uh, Father James Altman has talked about. We're just trying to do some good work here and keep these priests in ministry. They've invested a lot of time in the seminary training and learning how to be priests and how to uh, save souls out there in in holy mother church so we're there to help them accomplish that goal absolutely right and and you're right as i said i was playing devil's advocate to, to get the question on the table but you're right necessity knows no law when you're in a, a crisis uh, the normal means of doing something have to often be suspended and if do something that may not be the way things were done in 1945, but in the midst of a crisis, just like in the war, you know, my great grandfather fought in World War II. Well, the way mass was celebrated sometimes was a mass kit on the back of a Jeep in a field in France. That's not the typical way you say mass, right. but you're in the middle of a war. So it's an unusual crisis situation. And, you know, the you still have to do everything properly, but the, the manner can be a little different. Uh, but you are setting up, again, to be clear, you're setting up, these are private chapels. You're not trying to establish parallel hierarchical structures with, with parishes. And um, you are, 
just trying to meet the direct need for the sacraments. Is that right? I mean, you don't, your priests are not claiming to assert jurisdiction or, or no. hold positions within uh, the, the governance of the church, correct? Not in any respects, no. This, uh, these masses are private masses. You know, these council okay. priests uh, have the faculties uh, to say and offer a private mass daily. And this mass is just going to be uh, unadvertised. It'll be word of mouth. And if yep. someone shows up and wants to attend, they're welcome to. Um, they're not going to be challenging the authority of, of any bishops or any other church uh, hierarchy members in any mm -hmm. respect at all. Right. Uh, that's the plan. Yeah. So about how many how many places do you think you could help? What's your your pool, let's say, of, of potential potential priests to, to get out there? Great question. Well, right now I've got a pool, access to a pool of about 50 to 60 canceled priests. Uh, wow. There's a lot more canceled priests around the country. Uh, you know, Father Altman at the conference estimated that it could be as high as 2,200. Um, wow. Yeah, that's a, that's a lot of men taken out of ministry. And so the pool is only going to get larger, Brian, as we go forward. And I see the opportunity for this to grow dramatically in the years ahead. And Things are going to get much worse before they get better. I'm sorry to say that. It's very sad, but we're going to do what we can to help uh, help the liturgy survive in exile. We're, we're back in the catacombs, as uh, Michael Matt would say. Mm. Yes, very true. Uh, very true. So, uh, again, you mentioned, let's say, for the SSPX, for example, and said you're not. You're not. And one of the things, the conference we went to, the theme of it, as you know, was uh, House United, which mm -hmm. I, I really appreciated Father Lovell's vision because you know, we really said, look, there, this crisis is huge. It's, it's uh, more than any of us can, can cope with. And, you know, we need different, different organizations that have a particular aspect of it that they are, they're dealing with. Uh, but is it possible to do that without fighting among ourselves is the best way to put it. I mean, it almost seems there's sometimes a tendency among some traditional groups that it's, you know, me, me or the highway, right? Unless you're, unless you're with my group doing my thing, you know, I'm going to tell people to stay away from you. Is that, what do you think about that? And what's your approach uh, towards say, other, if somebody says, well, I've got an SSPX chapel up and running with plenty of room right here. Uh, can I go to that? Or do I need to talk to you? How would you deal with situations like that? Well, that's, that's a great question, and I do get that question a lot. You know, one of the things I do right now is I try to prioritize uh, communities mm -hmm. for the limited pool of priests that we do have. There's a great need west of the Mississippi River where if your diocesan mass goes bye-bye, then your ability to get to a TLM is very limited unless you want to drive, you know, extraordinary distances uh, to some other opportunity. But if there's an SSPX mass nearby, there's nothing wrong with going to an SSPX mass. Mm -hmm. I, I do encourage that. Um, you know, our friend Kennedy Hall talks about this a lot. Uh, I had some great conversations with him at the conference. And, you know, um, the uh, situation is that we're on a battlefield right now. And we have to mm -hmm. keep this in mind. We're under attack. There's a civil war taking place in the church. It's a time of tremendous crisis uh, that, you know, great Great saints have foretold us about these times, these dire times. And in my view, this is a crisis not unlike something like we saw with the Aryan crisis in the fourth century in terms of its impact. Of course, there's no denial now about the, uh, you know, uh, the real uh, divinity of Christ taking place. 
but the severity of the crisis is probably even greater than it was then. But famously, St. Athanasius said, you know, they have the buildings, we have the faith. So I think we're kind of yes. operating on that principle, basically. Um, but we're not, uh, you know, we're not here to pass judgment on other opportunities. You know, we're, we're not we're not big fans of the state of the conscious movement. But, you know, if you had no if you had no mass whatsoever um, that you could get to, um, what are you going to do? That's that's the crisis yeah. that's been, been created here, promulgated by by Rome. I, and I'm glad to hear that. That's that's wonderful. Um, yeah. And again, as to the state of a contest movement, I had a long conversation with Louis Verrecchio about that. And one of the things I like to say is I really am very careful when people ask about, quote, the state of a contest. Because my view is you've met one state of a contest. You've met one state of a contest that there's that term refers to lots of people that believe lots of different things. And um, you really need to be careful about you know what that means, and uh, I, I appreciate your you know willingness to realize people are dealing with a crisis, and you know rather than throwing stones at one another, well you shouldn't be doing that, you shouldn't be doing this. Uh, we're all you know trying to survive this this storm that the the bark of Peter has been uh, trapped in for for decades now, and it is I like your reference to the 1970s because it really it's almost as much as things change they they remain the same. A lot of people forget you know the 70s. Uh, there were no SSPX priests. I mean, he started the seminary, Archbishop Lefebvre, but it took many years to ordain the first priest. And, you know, then you only had a couple worldwide. It really, in, in, in the mid-80s, there were about a dozen priests in the United States. That was it. So most of the places where there were traditional masses that maybe Archbishop Lefebvre helped with or did confirmations for were not society priests. They were like you, diocesan priests who were either retired or pushed out and were just saying the mass, and they, they all worked together. I know when the Vatican would say, well, you're the head, to Archbishop, you're the head of the traditionalist movement. He said, I'm not the head of any movement. I'm, I'm the superior of a society founded with Vatican approval, and I'm the head of that. But these other people, we just work together, and I, I work with them. And it really, that was the spirit in the 70s, 80s um, of, you know, there's, there's a role to play. And the society for example, or any organization, wouldn't have enough priests to cover everything west of the Mississippi, as you said it. Uh, so we're not going to meet the needs if, if, if we just sort of have this strange competition. So that's, that's wonderful to see uh, your attitude. Yeah, well, thank you. Yeah, well, you know, it's, it's the attitude of uh, being in a battle, you know. Yes. Uh, it's often been said that, uh, you know, the, the troops in a foxhole uh, cannot be atheists on the battlefield. Yes. So, yeah, they have that unity. And I'm looking at it from that point of view. That's how I truly feel in my heart, my soul. Yes. Uh, we're not here to, you know, bash anybody. And I think uh, I'm also very much in unity with the concept that Michael Mavs put out there, which is unite the clans. Let's do that. Let's be let's be unified. And that's the theme of the conference uh, that we yeah. just came back from in, in Rosemont, Illinois, too. So. Yes. So switching back to the practical level. So you mentioned you set up a private chapel. So. Uh, if people want to do that, there's there's some very there's physical needs. They obviously need a place, a location. But then, uh, in order to offer the sacrifice, of the mass worthily, there there are certain objects that you need. You need vestments and altar cards. And how, how do you provide some help for people and be able to assemble the things they need, the minimum things they need for a priest to offer mass? Oh yes, yes we do. We have uh, we have at our website protectourpriests.com. Uh -huh. Uh, we have uh, a plethora of available resources there, and that list is growing and will grow. 
as we get further into this. Um, mm -hmm. but we do offer those opportunities to have uh, the faithful make those purchases. They can buy simple mass kits and, and other supplies for their home chapels. And home chapels do vary, you know, quite considerably. Some are very extravagant, very lovely and beautiful, uh, and others are more simple and, you know, just to the point. But as long as they meet the basic criteria, uh, you know, that's what's needed right now. And I want to say something, too. You know, we're kind of in alignment, in my mind, with what uh, Archbishop uh, Figano has talked about. He's mm. been very outspoken about the need to set up home chapels, and even Bishop Snyder is is endorsed it too. So we're taking our, if you will, marching orders kind of from, from you know, people like that, great people like that. And so actually you anticipated my next question, because as you know, Archbishop Vigado issued a, a kind of a call uh, to set up an organization to support uh, canceled priests or priests that have been unjustly removed. And uh, so do you have a, an affiliation with, with his movement or... Uh, how is how is there is there any connection with Archbishop Vigano? Well, we don't have a formal affiliation. I wouldn't mind having one, actually. But we're we're in my mind we're in alignment with that directive that he's uh, issued about the need to have home chapels and that the faithful, the laity should do that. You know, and it's also kind of in alignment with uh, the venerable Archbishop Fulton Sheen what he has said about you know the laity will save the church, and I do believe that. I think uh, when when Rome like presently has fallen for the second time to the barbarians. It's it's up to the lay faithful to step up and uh, do something about it. Mm. Well, and again, you mentioned uh, getting a mass kit, getting, and, and again, it's uh, something maybe for someone who's just gone to mass their whole life, haven't thought about, may seem uh, in, intimidating. Like, I don't even know what to do. But as you said, you have resources out there, uh, you know, for that to help people. And it's, there is a lot out there. I mean, I'll just share a really interesting story. So my oldest son uh, has been a priest for a year and he's in the, the missions in South America uh, in Brazil. And he needed to get a, a traveling mass kit for, you know, when he goes around. And so he found there's a priest that has collected uh, mass kits that were produced with vestments, everything in, in uh, uh, the size of a large briefcase for the Korean War, for the, the Catholic priests who served in the military of the Korean War. Uh, and he's, you know, they when Vatican II came along, they just got rid of these all. They didn't need them anymore. And they've been collected up and he, you know, will help get them to priests. But it's interesting, you may have, heard, I don't know if you heard of Father Emile Capon. Uh, he was a chaplain in the Korean War whose cause is open for, for canonization, a really holy priest. But, um, Interestingly, when uh, maybe I have the right picture. Interestingly, uh, when my son got this uh, mass kit, we found a, a holy card of uh, Father Capon uh, saying mass, and uh, we looked at the vestments. And my son had been, you know, he was saying mass, and it was identical. <laughs> we realized that this was the mass kit that uh, uh, had had been used by Father Capon back uh, so long ago. So. It's, uh, where is it? Oh, it's this middle picture here. There's is, uh, the Korean War. There's exact vestments, the kit uh, back there. So there's a lot, there's a lot of new things that people are producing now, uh, but there's also things that have been saved uh, from the past. So wonderful that you're helping people find things. Oh, well, thank um, you. Thank you. Appreciate that, Brian. Yep. So I will, again, I showed at the beginning, but I'll show your uh, website again. Uh, maybe people have a mask. They don't, they don't need your help, but what, what can they do? 
uh, to help what you're doing, uh, to help your, your movement, even if they don't need help from you directly? Oh, well, thank you. Thank you for that question. That's an important one. And, you know, uh, basically, uh, the situation is this. Um, we're called to love God. We're called to love our neighbor. And even if your TLM is up and operating and it's not in danger, um, I would urge everyone to think about your neighbors down the road, maybe a couple hundred miles down the road or perhaps in another state or another part of the country. Um, and toward that end, uh, we do need financial contributions to do the work we're doing. Now, I will say this, we're kind of a lean organization. No one gets a salary. We're all volunteers, including myself. I don't get a salary, nor do I want one. I'm doing this strictly altruistically to achieve the goals that I've stated. Uh, but with that said, we do have some operating expenses. We do have some travel costs, uh, some office expenses. Um, we have our primary office in Chicago, Illinois. Uh, we have our vice president, Beverly Coscarelli, who mans that office. And, you know, as a president, I have a different office. I'm actually in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. Oh, so, okay. so we have two locations. Uh, here, I'm very close to where the greatest need is, west of the Mississippi, but I'm, I'm able to, you know, travel other places too. I'm going to be at the Catholic Identity Conference that's coming up. I'm going to meet a lot of great people there as well. Um, and I do want to give some thanks to uh, John Henry Weston that's given me some publicity at LifeSite News. Uh, he had one of his great reporters uh, give us a story there. I was interviewed for that. And things like that are helping us. So two things. Uh, financial contributions and publicity. Those are the things we need the most right now. Great, great. Well, thank you for what you're doing to uh, help get priests where places where they're needed in, in this time of crisis. And uh, good luck with, with all the work you do. And please, uh, I guess, all our, ask all our viewers to at least, at minimum, pray for these priests particularly. Uh, because as difficult it is for the laity, it's even more difficult for, for priests right now. And, and we don't want to forget you know, how difficult that step is, you know, to, to realize if you've gone through the seminary, you thought this was going to be your whole life and they have everything be cut off. And a lot of these priests are cut off from financial support. They don't have a way of sort of supporting themselves and, you know, to, to stand up and do what's right in the face of the unknown uh, is involves great, great fortitude. So we need to pray for, for these priests. Uh, they need it. It's sometimes the lady may downplay what a difficult, uh, trial they may be going through and having to endure this and to bring the sacraments uh, to the laity. So thank you uh, very much, James, for your work. And thank you for joining us at Catholic Family News. Well, thank you, Brian. You're very welcome. Uh, it was a pleasure to be on the show and uh, really appreciate this opportunity. Thank you. God bless you. Great. To our viewers, if you've enjoyed this show, please help us. I mentioned publicity by sharing this video, liking it, uh, sending it to your contacts. Again, as we always say, we don't have no money to promote content on social media and on these, these platforms. So we rely on you to, to do that for us. So please help us. And as always, consider a subscription to Catholic Family News. Uh, our monthly newspaper where you'll read uh, many more more information about this and other stories. So thank you. God bless you.